Welcome back. Welcome back to Against the Law, Season 2. Now, I'm not joined today with by Grania, and I know it's been a long time, but I decided, you know, I've, after the third or fourth or fifth person has said, where's the podcast? Where's the podcast? I'm back. You know, I figure people miss people miss the hot takes. I imagine they miss the witty banter. And so you'll get one of those things <laughs> in, in, in this season two. Uh, I'll try to get Grania back. But since, uh, well, since the last episode, I, you know, I kind of took a break mostly because of this trial I had. I was on a long trial and it took a lot of preparation and then it lasted six weeks and then I needed to decompress for a minute. And during that time, Grania became a parent. So now she has a adorably cute little baby but that is also taking away from her podcast time. So this is a solo practice edition. Um, we'll get. I'll try to get some more people in. Uh, hopefully, Grania and and or other people. And uh, there's always a seat for you, Grania. There's always uh, a seat ready for you. But you know, I'm gonna go at it myself today. You know, I figure I can I can bring some takes and uh, put some ideas out there. So. I'll, I, there's a lot of stuff to talk about. I, obviously, a lot has happened. Uh, every week is just a, a, a crazy week in terms of political news and 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 often legal news. But the, you know, I figure inaugural season two episode might as well talk about the big issue, which is the Supreme Court. And so I, you know, it, I don't know if I have any particularly new insights on the Supreme Court, but I just figured I would kind of give my take on on how to think about the courts in a lot of ways and 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 what the Supreme Court means and what the courts mean in in society generally but also in the context of a kind of emergent left that is just starting that is really just emerge that is just growing now and is grappling with how to understand and deal with these institutions uh, like the courts and and many other institutions. So that's basically the plan, and welcome to season two. Uh, before we before I start, I just wanted to give a big shout out to Ralph Darden for introducing me. Well, for many things, but also for particularly for introducing me to Ian Spinonius, who let me use the song as our new intro. So, season two, against the law. Welcome. <laughs> in law school they teach you about the great cases and the great justices and you kind of get this great man theory of the supreme court at least where i went to law school scalia was very popular um and in terms of the intellectual pillar of the court uh when i was when i was in law school even with the across the you know across the political spectrum from conservative (laughs) democrats to conservative republicans but the last few years has really made me kind of think about that because there, I, for a while, you know, I rejected that kind of great man theory and the, this institutional, uh, this reification of institutions and this idea that the Supreme Court is this, this great institution. And I was like, yeah, it's all just, a, you know, it's another, it's a, it's a, it's a third political branch. It's, you know, it's a nine person legislature. And I took a very cynical view of it, and 
I think I've kind of come more in as it's become more of that. <laughs> I think I've come to take a more, I've come to appreciate the liberal, the liberality of what the institution was meant to be. So, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't miss, you don't miss your water till your well runs, runs dry in a sense, because, you know, you can mock these kind of liberal concepts as being disingenuous or never, not actually being upheld in practice always. But now I think we're kind of faced with the con with the prospect of, of actually losing it and of it not, of it not even becoming nominally a liberal body that is able to uphold kind of these, these sanctified norms of the rule of law and equal justice before law. And so that prospect has kind of at least forced me to kind of reevaluate the idea um, and to, to think, to think more critically about the value of those, even if they're not upheld, the value of those, of those liberal institutions like the Supreme Court. And so here we are in terms of the, the process of the court being horribly disrupted by the Merrick Garland situation. And now the Republicans seem to have fully recognized that they can run over these liberal institutions because there's nothing backing them, right? There's no, there's no force behind them. And, the, you know, they believe in, in a kind of power for power's sake. And so the process is not important. And I think the other side doesn't know what to do with that, right? They, you can't uphold, you can't maintain these institutional norms. You can't maintain due process Due process doesn't fight for itself. And so we're in this kind of one-sided fight where the the right wing doesn't seem to care about process and the center, like the Democrats, aren't able to counter the right wing in with anything but process. I mean I'm talking specifically in this kind of judicial realm. And so it's a one-sided fight, and one side is winning uh, is, is winning every battle, from the Supreme Court to the federal judiciary is being packed with right-wing judges. And, and that has a long-term effect. I mean, these are lifetime appointments. So, you know, someone in their 40s could well serve 40 years. Um, and these appointments have major consequences for all kinds of things, uh, you know, big high profile things like abortion, obviously, and citizenship issues, all, all those kind of things that are, that are thought of as big Supreme Court issues. But the everyday functioning of the courts, you know, you don't hear about the cases, you, you don't hear as often about the cases that never get into court, the cases that are dismissed, the cases that are never brought because of the hostile nature of ju the judiciary. And so it's, it's really a whole arena of struggle that is being cut off by, by, letting, by having this happen. I, I don't want to say letting this happen, but having this happen. Again, like as I was saying before, with you don't miss your liberal institutions till the well runs dry, or whatever that analogy I was making, I think that, you know, I've, I've kind of come to a conception of the courts as 
as a form of kind of, I think one way that is, is useful to think of the courts is as a form of critical infrastructure. Um, we don't think of water or electricity as an inherently political resource, but, you know, there's poison water in Flint, Michigan, and there's not poison water in uh, the rich suburbs of Detroit, right? So there is a political aspect to anything, right? This is There is a political economic aspect to critical infrastructure, and I think that applies to the courts as well. But I think fundamentally what we want to think of them, a, a useful frame to think of them as, is as a form of critical infrastructure. And what's happening with a kind of right-wing takeover of the courts is they're you know, basically funneling the poison water to us and giving the good water to them and their allies. And so if we think of the the direction of the law, that's one way to look at it. And that we can conceptualize the courts in this way without having to say that their institutional character is one thing or another, and rather to think of them as a resource that is due that should be applied equally to all, but that we have to fight to maintain, that we have to fight on our side to achieve um, that equality, right? So in, in one way, you know, I think that the kind of liberal norms of a court system, even if they're not completely true with the actual you know, when you think about everyone's equal before the law, but you have an individual suing their boss or suing a corporation or, you know, the, the there's huge power dynamics within society that the, the law will often ignore. So an individual versus a corporation is, you know, a pretty straightforward example of that. But there's other power dynamics, obviously, right? An individual versus a police officer, a person of color versus a white person. So all of those kind of things are the law tends to ignore. So the law wants to look at everyone as equal and ignore the actual existing power dynamics within society. And we could look at that as as a way of delegitimizing the law as an institution and saying that it's inherently compromised or whatever, or we could look at it and just pick apart the hypocrisy of it. But given the actual real-world material consequences that legal decisions have in, in the system that we currently live under, I think it's much more useful to think of it as this form of infrastructure that we have to fight for maintenance of. And to think of these, though potentially hypocritical, norms as a kind of detente that can be achieved, as a form of armistice between other existing struggles within the society. So, you know, there always are class and race struggles and those struggles aren't going to go away but it doesn't help any of them to have this incredibly powerful institution run by one faction of our society that being the right-wing corporate faction so we need to fight for these things and we need to maintain them and we're losing and I think a reason, one of the reasons why we're losing, I mean, maybe part of it is we conceptualize the law wrong, but I think, you know, it's part of the bigger macro 
political problem in the, in the country, which is, you know, from my perspective, is that we don't have a left. We have a we have a right wing that keeps moving right, and we have a center a center that keeps moving right, and, you know, we kind of have, we have the one party that doesn't believe in institutional norms, and we have one party that only believes in institutional norms, and so, what we need, I think, is a left that is willing to fight for values and use institutions. So just to give an example of the dynamic I'm talking about in terms of needing these institutions for the growth of movements and and for the growth of of civil society, you know, if we think about you know, if we think about the J20 case or any of these big mass arrest cases where people are, you know, what I would think is illegally arrested for for First Amendment activity, where people are arrested for being in proximity to somewhere where they th- where the police say a crime might have happened. Uh, those the amount of resources that go into those kind of legal defense efforts, thousands and thousands of hours. Um, you know, it, the 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 situation in North Dakota where hundreds and hundreds of people were arrested on just nonsense. What what that does in terms of people's ability to engage and to move forward and to build new organizations. I mean, in some sense, it builds organization in that these kind of ad hoc groups form to provide legal defense. But that is reaction, right? That it, That is reaction to harm, and that is harm reduction. But it is not a proactive organization in a lot of ways. It's it's defensive, right? I mean, it's legal. <laughs> it's definitionally, it's criminal defense. It's legal defense. So, you know, all those hours and all that energy and creativity, and I know a lot of these people, they're brilliant, creative, you know, wonderful people. But, you know, I, I, I promise if you ask any of them, would they rather be doing something else if this work wasn't necessary? The answer would be yes. <laughs> so, we're you know, we have to think about those material costs when we're thinking about the what what these systems do, and we can't just ignore the legal system because it's a quote unquote liberal system or it's a it's a hypocritical system. In a lot of ways, the the Democrats, the kind of mainstream center, thinks of these institutions as self perpetuating, and the left or the you know the the newly emergent left or the old, you know, stalwart left, uh, doesn't have a, doesn't take these institutions seriously or doesn't doesn't want to engage with them. So that just leaves the right wing to take them over. But it's also clear that this is changing. That I think that there you know there is a gr- emerging left. It's being created as we speak, and that, you know that's why on this show we've talked so much about Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. And that has inspired people across the country to start thinking about these things institutionally, to take over these institutions, to reshape these institutions. And it just needs to keep growing, right? I mean, it, need, it can't just be DA here and there. We need This needs to be part of any kind of structural, systematic thinking and strategy to make serious change. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, most of us know about the history of the Supreme Court and the New Deal and the 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 kind of gilded era 
super elite Supreme Court was dead set against the New Deal. And it took a court packing threat uh, to get a lot of New Deal legislation through. And we're definitely, you know, if this new left that is emerging um, actually is able to take more power, this is a real threat to any kind of transformational change that we want to see. This, this Supreme Court is going to be an incredible hurdle, and the federal courts are going to be hurdles to, at every level to making, you know, broad, systematic, transformative change. So, you know, I think it's important to look at these lessons from the past, but it's also important to start taking the courts as an arena you know, we need to evaluate how do we get people in there? How do we get people in office? How do we, you know, how do we how do we get rid of bad judges and get in better judges? How do we get rid of bad prosecutors and put in good prosecutors? How I'll leave it up to others to kind of have that debate on on whether they want to engage or enter that system, but I think that the more Larry Krasners that are out there, the more people who are willing to do that hard work of actually not theorizing, but actually doing and seeing how changing these institutions, whether it's possible, because, you know, it's easy to say, well, those systems will never change, but we don't know that until someone tries, right? So that work, I think, is critical and needs to be needs to be evaluated and, and, and tried more and more places, you know? That's, that's how, there's no recipe for, there's no straightforward recipe for making the changes that we want to see. You know, I think the past is very instructive in terms of, of understanding dynamics and understanding how power operates, but no, there's no exact analogies ever. So, you know, and, and society is constantly changing. So, you know, the past is instructive in terms of how to think and how to strategize, but we cannot use the exact strategies of the past because we're not in the same place. But that being said, you know, uh, we should be thinking about packing the Supreme Court, right? That, I mean, that's there's nothing in the Constitution that says how many people are on the Supreme Court, and you know, if if we ever get a left of center president who wants to actually make some change, that's going to have to be part of the conversation. And, you know, that's assuming that things go as I assume they will go, which is that uh, this Brett Kavanaugh will be confirmed and, you know, maybe Trump will get another Supreme Court justice um, before his time is up. Uh, and which, you know, this is the most likely scenario. So, and either way, there's... Uh, conservative majority so there you go we're in an era now i think where you know there's a there's a growing left in america and in the u.s and we're trying to figure out what that means and and how to engage with institutions and how to engage with politics generally and so you know th that's kind of the perspective i'm bringing on the supreme court i'm not i don't have any kind of inside baseball or or what you know, what Schumer needs to do or whatever. It's it's more of just uh, kind of my take on, on how to think about the courts, how I've kind of come to think about the courts, uh, especially in, in the era of Trump and going forward. And how, you know, maybe how try to, you know, I'm trying to 
along with everyone else, work through these things. Like how do, how do we think about the courts? How can we think about the courts? And, and how, do we, uh, how do we engage with these existing institutions um, with, you know, with the intent to get past them or make them better or get rid of them or whatever we want to do? You know, we have to engage with the existing world that exists. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm coming from. And, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the show. Thanks to everyone who encouraged me to get back on the horse here. Um, so it's, uh, it's been, it's fun. So that is it for this episode of Against the Law. Um, I will try to make this more regular. Um, it's, you know, the scheduling's easier when it's just me. But uh, I encourage people out there, if you want to if you want to chat it up to come on by the home studio and if you want to engage on Twitter, uh, you know, hit me up. I will respond to actual like people. Um, I just I the the the, the Twitter's just like a giant like negging festival. Everyone's negging each other, but like, like no one's hooking up. It's well, maybe they are. I don't know. But that doesn't. The seems the point is just to neg until everyone just kills himself or something. But that's just my take on Twitter. Um, I have been using Facebook more lately, so you know if you if you hit me up there, I would probably more likely to respond. But I'll respond to anyone. So find me on the internets, um, and uh, always available at at against the law the first. A is the at symbol, and uh, also against the law dot info info at against the law dot info. So uh, be well, everyone. Hope hope you enjoy the show. And if you have ideas or anything you want to hear about, uh, holler at me. Bye. <laughs>